0: This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi.
1: And I'm Jacob Young.
0: On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Good afternoon, everyone. Today, we're talking with Scott Monty of Scott Monty Strategies in Canton, Michigan.
2: Good to be with you, Paul.
0: So do you find that the people who engage you because you have a track record in their mind, I know there's probably a lot of repeat business, and then, but then there's this sort of subset I would imagine that are skeptical. It's like, okay, I don't know. I can see everything. I know everything about this. What's he going to add? He doesn't even know this business. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? Because first of all, have you had that challenge? And then how did you deal with that?
2: So the types of clients that I have right now, it's largely referral and mm-hmm. word of mouth. You know, I've, I've been writing a blog for, I guess, I guess, going on 15 years now. So I've got a, a track record of what I guess you could call thought leadership. I, I won't claim the mantle, but, you know, that's what other people have said.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I certainly made a reputation for myself at Ford. And largely, the, the people that approached me are people that are already believers, like, like that dealer. Right. You know, right. here's a guy who... I didn't have to convince him that something needed changing. He knew a change needed to happen. He just didn't know how to get there, right? And I find those are the leaders that I enjoy working with the most, is those who are naturally curious and those who are constantly pushing for something different, something better. However, I will say that in my career, I have come across plenty of skeptics, and I actually had an opportunity to convert one of them, or so I thought, at a meeting of the entire C-suite at Ford Motor Company. Wow. This was back in 2011, I think. I was asked to give a presentation on the state of social media, more broadly and specifically what it meant for the company. Okay. And I went into this room, and, and remember, this is uh, late 10, early 11, so oil and gas prices were still high. Every executive around the room had fuel prices on their mind as Ford was thinking about its way forward. And I acknowledged that, and I said, before I begin this presentation, and and by the way, I happened to be seated directly in between the CFO and the COO.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I was in the seat that normally the CEO held at these meetings. and. I looked around and I said, everybody has this at the back of their mind. So let's let's see if we can get a little consumer research. So I went onto the Ford corporate Twitter account and I asked the audience, when you buy your next car, what's the minimum MPG you'd like to see miles per gallon you'd yep. like to see from it? And I, I hit send and I gave my presentation and about 20 minutes later, I opened up the Twitter feed and all of these responses were in there, about 100 or so responses. And it ranged from, uh, don't matter the MPG as long as it's got a V8 engine in it, all the way up to 300 miles per gallon. But most of the answers were in the 30s and 40s, which is exactly where Ford had been targeting over that two to three period range. Uh, So it validated the strategy. And the CFO, the guy who was the most skeptical of digital and social who wondered whether people were wasting their time, whether this was productive for the company. He pushed back from the table, and he put his reading glasses up on his forehead, and he looked over at me, and he said, Do you know, if I had insights like this every day, I would find it invaluable. (laughs) Right? So in that very moment, I made a believer out of a skeptic. Mm Mm-hmm right and it was all about speaking his language right. putting it in a frame of reference where he could work with it now this isn't a guy who's going to be creating his own instagram feed or uh, you know you name it this this is a guy who thinks about it from a utilitarian point of view but until we actually packaged it in a way that was useful to him he didn't see the value in it of
0: course yeah uh, how would he know how could he perceive it right it's as good as not existing
2: exactly Fascinating.
0: Fascinating. Now, you said, d- did he continue to believe or did he wane on that?
2: Well, he did because we he was the guy we had to go to when we wanted funding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Obviously, we had to prove our case each time, but we didn't have to prove the fundamentals to him. So, it became uh, less a frustrating exercise and more of an exercise in creativity. Okay. All right.
0: So, now, we uh, we have a lot of our listeners are small to medium-sized businesses. They'd love to be Ford, which was once a small business. <laughs> Um, but it took him uh, a little while to get there. Um, Still fully owned. <laughs> that's right. That's true. <laughs> what would be your counsel to a? So let me let me think. Just different businesses we've talked to here in New England. That uh, CPA firm. Typical. It's tax season. You know they, they do taxes that's where they make most of their money they do some advisory work etc you've got two typical partners and you know they're busy they do the work themselves they've got a few people working for them how would you help them navigate and i, I know this is out of the norm but you know we're taking a thousand horsepower person with you and putting them in a you know little Two seater here, so it's, it's way oversubscribed. Uh, but w- what would your sort of, if I were to force you, saying, okay, how would they approach innovating in their business in in a way? And and that you know, I've I've been asked this question before, and you don't want to come up with this, you know, just real leap of faith. Well, you know, you can do. There's one of the banks out there that now has um, you can get, you know, it's it's a restaurant and a bank. I forget which one it is, but you know, you can go and get coffee at the bank. It's like. Yeah okay. <laughs> you know, but it sounds like they're reaching. Right. So I'll let you, I'll let you sort of pontificate on that. What do you think about that?
2: Well, I'll, first Paul, what I would say is that I don't presume to know as much about their business as they do. That will always be the case. Right. And I will defer to business owners for their level of expertise. But I do start by asking a lot of questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Uh, so I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here since, you know, we're just creating this hypothetical. Sure. But first, first, I would start with, you know, kind of the, the Socratic method, as it were, and, and try to get more information out of them through a series of questions or observations. You know, if it was uh, about a, a flow through or whatnot, I would observe what's going on in the place of business. But here's the thing, let, let me let me approach this from a from a business historical perspective. as. Mm-hmm. As Henry Ford did when the Model T came about his whole idea was you know he created the quadricycle and that was that was his first opportunity to experiment with combustion engine Ford Motor Company came along in 1903 and the Model T debuted in 1908 so you know there were years where you know this was in development and his idea eventually was to create a car that could be used by virtually any American and would have a variety of utilities to it. So, a couple things happen. One, he began to produce enough cars that the cost per unit was driven down. In 1908 it cost I think $850, which was pretty expensive back then. But by the late teens, cost was $250 per car. Right? So, so by scale he brought the price down. Again, simple math. In this process, and you probably are familiar with this phrase, he said, you can have any color you want as long as it's black.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And people thought that was because he was not innovating. Well, the opposite was true. He was innovating so much, the car was in such high demand, he knew that black paint was the fastest drying paint.
0: Oh, interesting. So
2: it was the, the paint that allowed him to produce the most vehicles. But when it comes down to innovation he created his product in such a way that it could be used it could be converted into a tractor it could be easily adapted as a pickup you could even put snow tracks on it and uh, and use it on the snow mm-hmm. right so he was already designing something with a better customer experience in mind and it started small and it got big and i think the same thing applies to whether you're a cpa or a real estate agent or what have you it's about making these observations at the minute level. Hmm. So, for example, you're a CPA. Where does most of your business come from? Is it online, right? Are you competing with the TurboTaxes of the world? Mm-hmm. Or is it is it local business that you're serving? And if so, how are you actually transmitting business to them? Are you meeting them at their place of business? Are you making them come to your office? Could you do uh, sessions where... Borrow a gymnasium for an afternoon and get a line of people queued up and and run them right through. Uh, Are you associated with a collective of other similar businesses or related businesses where you can each feed off of each other? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, these are all very basic things. I'm kind of grasping straws here. But again, it's starting with the very basic. It may not sound sexy. It may not seem like it's completely scalable. But you've got to start somewhere because from those initial tweaks – then you may see a bigger one, a bigger opportunity come by, or you may run into something that you never expected. You know, if you're the bank, that Has op- opened the coffee shop. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know why people want to spend so much time in a bank, right? I've seen auto dealers with coffee shops. Well, people are getting their oil changed and They want a more premium experience rather than the stale donuts and crappy coffee on the sideboard there Okay, I get that but what reason are you retaining people in the bank And if you've got them in the bank, then what other opportunities are you making available to them? Would you have other small business owners available to do an open house with them one day per week uh, at that coffee shop or Mm -hmm. a seminar or something to help them grow their business that's a value add that doesn't feel like it's some kind of awkward square peg in a round hole?
0: That's interesting. So I want to go back to something you mentioned about the initial years of the car with, with Henry Ford. So there was a whole ecosystem pre-car that was taking care of the feeding the animals, the horses, cleaning Mm. up after them. What would have, now this is ultimate hindsight, but (laughs) what would you have counseled the horse manure cleanup people to do? You know, thinking about it from now, it's like, okay, I go around, I've got some low-paid people, Mm low-skilled, and I pick up horse manure. And that's my job, and that's my business. And I can't imagine a world in which there are not horses on the street of New York.
2: Mm.
0: What would have been, let's go back, and what would you have counseled them? How would you, I'm even just thinking myself, what what I would have counseled them. And and I know the rest of the
2: story. Yeah. Yeah, well, we we certainly have the benefit of hindsight now. But uh, what I like to help executives do is to think in terms of analogies. I'll, I'll give you an example. Back when social media was first rearing its ugly head in business, and, and there were a lot of skeptics back then. I mean, again, something we take for granted now. But uh, you, you think about the advent of, of Twitter and of Facebook and well, even, even email at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Somebody shared an article with me from a business journal, and it, it was kind of like a case study, that all these employees uh, were petitioning the boss to allow them to have access to uh, this new technology. And again, the boss, very skeptical, was concerned that it would be a, a drain on productivity. But in order to assuage his employees, in order to to get them off of his back, he said, Well, let's let's run an experiment. Let's let's set up kind of a central kiosk out in the middle of everyone's desks. Mm-hmm. Where we can keep an eye on this so, so we know that people won't be wasting their time and they won't be giving away corporate secrets or anything like that. It'll be kind of a public, a publicly available thing. And do you know that that business journal was from the 1920s and the technology was the telephone,
1: hmm.
2: right? Now, again, you think about how closely we use all of these utilities from telephone to email to, to digital and social. It's just taken for granted. So put yourself in the situation of the horse manure guy. Mm -hmm. The question is, what kind of analogy could you present to him to help him understand that there will be change coming? We may not know exactly what it's going to look like, but you need to be ready to adapt. It could be that with the advent of streetcars, let's say that began to reduce the the number of or at least the routes of horses and and carriages in sure. the city. So already they had all right well we're we're only operating on uh, on the side of the road now. You know we're not operating in the center. Or now we've actually seen more of our business driven out to the suburbs rather than the city center, mm-hmm. right? So we can already begin to see some of these things. So you know, my recommendation would be, if I were you know more farsighted than than uh, some folks, this, this is the interesting thing, Paul. I tend to pride myself on my knowledge of of history and literature and the things that have already happened. Right. But at the same time, I kind of think of myself as a futurist, right? Because if it, what's past is prologue, it's quite right. quite simple as that. Shakespeare knew what he was talking about. So to say to the manure guy, you might think about, you know, focusing on places where we know horses are going to be needed, uh, regardless of how this car thing works out, Mm -hmm. Uh, farms, uh, zoos, circuses, uh, you know, wherever, uh, equestrian shows, you know, wherever we we see horse uh, concentrations now, get them to start thinking about alternative markets and, and how they can actually continue to be part of that niche rather than fighting what we all know is coming even though we may not be able to see clearly what it is
0: right it's uh, it's it's very much like innovation it's like that's not obvious but once it happens it was very
2: obvious exactly
0: I think it's the core of the issue here is how do you get people to take the leap to understand or even take the leap to consider understanding what might be As you're aware, we've been talking with Scott Monty of Scott Monty Strategies. And there's going to be a whole bunch of show notes based on what we've talked about. And we'll have his contact information there as well. So, Scott, thank you very much for for coming on the show. We appreciate it.
2: It's my great pleasure, Paul. Thank you.
1: edge of innovation is brought to you in partnership with savior labs savior labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future learn more about savior labs at SaviorLabs.com. thank you for listening to this episode of the edge of innovation hacking the future of business for the show notes and more information about paul please visit paulparisi.com The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with Copious Amounts of Coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com.